0: Amen, amen. One of the things I failed to mention earlier was uh, we have some guests here this morning that I want to embarrass. Trying um, to do that, everybody else is like, "Yeah, let's do it." We got a, Some of them are like, "Yes," yeah, some of them are no. Uh, Pastor Rick and the youth from Hillside Baptist Church in Ohio are here this morning. Wave your hand so everybody knows that you're here. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to you. They stayed. They're outside Cleveland, Ohio, and they stayed with the Yordis last night on their way to Philadelphia, and they will be ministering in the inner city of Philadelphia all this week, and we, just, we get to be a stop on their way. Isn't that cool? So when you see them on, their, on your way out, uh, make sure that you let them know that they were welcome here, and also that it would be great if we could pray for them. And that their obedience to God's call this week would, uh, would certainly, they would bear fruit and that they'd have a safe, great week and you'd see God move in your lives and the people you minister to. That's our prayer for you. Welcome to you guys. Um, so make sure you guys do that. Can we do that for me? Oh, that's awesome. All right, let's bow in prayer before we go to God's word this morning. Father, it's in, it's in the, the stillness that we hear your voice. And we thank you that as we gather here this morning that this just isn't a, a time of the week to check a box. Say we came to church. But this is an opportunity to praise you. This is an opportunity to pour our hearts out to you This is an opportunity with our brothers and sisters in Christ to gather together and say, regardless of what happened this week, regardless of what happens in the week to come, our Lord is still on the throne. And all our trust is in you. Father, as I pray so many times, it's my prayer again this morning that this wouldn't be a a message where I would transfer information but that through the reading of your word and the applying it to our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring about life transformation, that our lives would change because of us being here today, because of our obedience to your call. Lord, I would ask that you give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would uh, call us by your grace to turn from places that we've gone the wrong way and sins that we've committed and and ways in which we've disobeyed you this week and that we would repent from those and we would turn and believe that your way's better and that as you wash us in your grace that we would be encouraged by your spirit to follow you deeper. Lord, help me. I can't preach this on my own. I need you. Let these words be yours, not mine. And Lord, even as we apply it to our life, help us. Help us to be more like you each and every day. It's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. So uh, if you haven't been here, you're stepping into a summer series that we're having called God Never Said That and What the Bible Really Does. God never said that in what the Bible really does. This sermon series is a sermon series where we're not trying to pick on anybody, not trying to offend anybody, so please don't send me emails saying that I offended you. That's not, not my intention. Uh, what, we are, what we are doing, though, is we're going through and we are looking at several of the verses in Scripture, several of the sayings that Christians say uh, that really sound r- really Christian-y. They sound really good, and, and we've probably used them one way or another. I don't even know if christian is a word, but I'm making up my own vocabulary. This morning. Uh, they sound really good and we've applied them, or maybe we've said them to someone else, but did God really say that? Did God, did God really mean that when we read it in His Word? So we've looked at things such as, um, you know, if you ask it in Jesus' name, He's going to give you everything you want, right? Whatever you ask in Jesus' name, it's a, it's a magical way to pray that you, you just give whatever you want. We've, did God never said that, right? We're going to look at things down the road like, God only helps those who help themselves. God never, will never give you any more than you can handle. How many have heard these things, right? Yeah, but is that what God really said? So we're gonna look at these passages, we're unpacking them, we're learning more about what God said, hopefully applying to our lives and these verses and these sayings, giving them a different way of viewing them that maybe is what God really did say. And so today is like no other, this is actually one of the most popular verses, I think. Uh, last week was don't judge, and that was a pretty popular verse. This is a popular verse for Christians, though, where last week's verse was probably more popular to be used by non-Christians. Uh, this is a verse that many people have made their life verse. And I, and I don't want to offend anybody, like I said, but I think we're going to look at it today, and we're going to find a new richness in, in, in it. And here's the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope." This is a, this is a lot of people's favorite verse, right? Anybody here, it's your favorite verse? Nobody wants to admit it because of the series. <laughs> one brave portion, one brave person. But listen, this is a great verse. We put it on gift cards. I mean, I've been guilty of writing this on a graduation card. So listen, we're in this, it's a safe place here. We put it on gift cards. We put it on coffee mugs. We put it on refrigerator magnets. Our grandma cross stitches it and then we put it up in a frame on our wall, right? Like this is a, one of those verses, is it not? Except it doesn't mean what it, we think it means, I think. It may not mean what we think of it. What I want to do today is actually I want to reframe it. I want us to see what it means in context as we've been talking about. And I think at the end of the day, you're going to love it even more. I really do. But what we've been doing each and every week as we've been looking at these verses is we've been looking and saying, okay, now how do we really interpret verses? How do we do it properly? And that's part of this sermon series as well to help you learn how to do this. And so we've been talking about what it means to interpret and, how, and, and what it looks like to interpret Scripture properly. And that's called the big word exegesis. And that X is a prefix in that word that literally means to draw out and to bring out of. And we're trying to draw out the truth of the text, draw out the truth of the Scripture and apply it to our lives. Now, there, but there's another way we can apply scripture, and it's called eisegesis. And that word I is in there, right? And that means reading into the text whatever you want to see. Yeah, so I wanted to say this. So, or, or you know, uh, she really needs corrected, so this is how I want to tell her to be corrected. So let me go find a verse that backs up what I want to say so I can apply this verse to them. And nobody, nobody in this room's ever done that before. No eisegesis. We don't want to do that. We want to practice exegesis. We want to find the truth of the text. And the way that we do that is we understand the context, what happened before, what happened after, who wrote it, why were they writing it, who were they writing it to. All of these things are important when we study our scriptures. And it's incredibly easy to do this now because the study Bibles that we have access to are better than any Christians have ever had access to study resources up to this point in time. You would have had to go to a library or had to go to a seminary to get the access we have today. We understand the context. And then we interpret scripture with other scriptures. I'm so thankful that God is incredibly consistent throughout scripture and that when we don't understand something in the one place we read it, that he gives us other views, other other scriptures that we can interpret with to, to give us a fuller meaning and finally apply what you learn, apply what you learn. So we're looking at this verse, you know, Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so what's the context? What's going on during this passage? Well, we need to understand that this passage is a letter or a, or a prophecy sent from the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Judah, the people of Judah who were exiles. That's who the people it was written to, exiles. In 589 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, anybody remember Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar came from Babylon and he came to Jerusalem and he carried away the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, the best ones at least, back to Babylon with him. And he did this because of their disobedience. They disobeyed God. What they did, what they did is if you were here for the Joshua series, everything God told them to do once they had the promised land, they did exactly the opposite. They didn't follow his law. They blatantly disregarded what he was calling them to be as holy. They started to worship other gods. They started to worship idols. They started to treat each other poorly. They started to treat each other and and, and to, to not treat the poor properly. And for all of these reasons, God kept warning them, you better turn your heart to me, you better turn your heart to me. And when they didn't, he removed his hand of protection and Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came and took them away. And so what he's writing to are exiles. He's writing to priests, he's writing to prophets, he's writing to the elders, to the older people, in the, the oldest people in the nation, and telling them what they did, and also trying to give them hope in the midst of their exile. Now understanding the context then, we understand that Jeremiah 29 11 is not primarily a message to you and to me, but to a nation, a group of people. Does this make sense? And here's the thing, some of you may say, well I've read, pastor I've read, it says, for I know the plans I have for you and I always thought that you was me. I always thought when I read you, it's me and you you isn't always me, you sometimes isn't you, it's me, right? But sometimes it's you, everybody's confused now. But that's, but that's one of the problems that we have. And one of the problems that this seri- that's birthed out of this series is we have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency to pick this up and we look at this and if we don't properly, if, if we don't properly interpret it, we take these promises and we assume, okay, so God has plans for me. And according to Jeremiah 29, 9, 11 he says that he has plans for welfare. He's going to give me peace. He's going to, and nothing evil is going to happen to me. And he's gonna give me a great future and I'm gonna hope in that. And one of the dangers is we can take that and then before you know it, we come smack up against reality and bad things happen. Right? Because guess what? In this life sometimes it doesn't seem like God's plans are very good if Jeremiah 29 11's right. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we have prosperity. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we have a hopeful future. Sometimes life is really hard. And if we take Jeremiah 29, 11 at face value and think that the you is me, then we begin to believe one of two things. Either God's not good and he's a liar, or that he doesn't even exist. And lots of people have been hurt by this. We begin to believe in something that isn't good news. We believe in something that I'm gonna call this morning fake good news, and yes, the pun is intended. We believe in fake good news. We believe that what the scripture says in Jeremiah 29 and 11 is the truth, and we want to hold on to that, but then we're disappointed because we've misinterpreted it. And here's the thing. This is common for most of us. It's common for us because, let me be honest with you, we want the fake good news, like, I would love to stand up here and preach to you. Jeremiah 29 11 is exactly what's happening. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna preach it over all of you. And you're gonna walk out of here today and you're gonna have a hopeful future. And nothing bad's ever gonna happen to you because you follow Jesus. We want that. We want the fake good news. We want it to be real. And it was no different for these exiles. It was no different for these people that were invaded by Babylon. Because the context, remember we're talking about the context, the context of what's going on here, that exact same thing happened. If you were to look in your Bibles at Jeremiah 28, you would find out what happened with fake good news. There was another prophet, other than Jeremiah, there was this another prophet called Hananiah. And Hananiah, stick with me, Hananiah went to the king of Judah, Zedekiah, and Hananiah went to, the, went to the king and said, listen, though we've been taken over by Babylon, don't worry. Two years from now, the yoke of Babylon, you mean meaning the, the, the slavery that they've put on the shoulders of the Israelites, it's gonna be broken. And everybody's gonna come back and everything's gonna be fine. And everybody thought that was really good news. Like, you know, okay this is bad, but two years later God's gonna show up and everything's gonna be good. And so Zedekiah, naturally the people of Judah, they wanted to believe the prophet Hananiah. So along comes Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, Hananiah, you're a liar. Yeah, God never said that. In fact, God said something much different. God said you're gonna be punished for 70 years. And because you're a false prophet, Hananiah, you're going to die before the year's out. And seven months of of that year, Hananiah dies. Aren't these stories awesome? I mean, this could be a Netflix series, right? (laughs) Not only that, but it also explains why nobody names their kid Hananiah, but a lot of people name their kids Jeremiah. Am I right? Yeah. (laughs) So don't think about naming your kid Hananiah, because this is the, the, but anyway. So, um, but Hananiah gave fake good news. He gave them a different hope and they wanted to believe it. But Jeremiah told them something completely different. And folks, we can get caught up in this. We can get caught up in believing fake good news and a lot of people want to believe in fake good news. I'm never gonna come down on you for that because it's a natural part of the human condition. And some of us believe this. We We listen to TV preachers and they say things like, you know, a blessing is coming your way, right? God's going to prosper you. This is going to be the year of breakthrough. All you have to buy is this special water in this vial, right? All you've got to do is sow into my ministry, and God's going to pour out blessing on you. Now listen, I want to I be clear. I'm kind of picking fun, I know, but, but I want to be clear. I believe God can bless you. I do. I believe that, and I pray for that, maybe this is the year of breakthrough. I'm praying for that for our church, that that the Holy Spirit breaks through our hearts, he breaks into this building, and that we see God the way we've never seen before, and he moves in ways we've never seen it before. But the problem is sometimes, is if we take scriptures like Jeremiah 29 11 ink properly, if we believe in the fake good news, something could happen. Our Christianity can become a means to an end, rather than God being the end. And all of our means being for searching for him. And when that happens, we run into problems. And if we make Christianity a means to an end, then we believe that Jeremiah 29, 11 means if you're a Christian, you have a life of ease. Everything's going to be great. You have a life of comfort. You have a life of prosperity. All you got to do is follow Jesus. And this is what's going to happen. And the problem is some of you were taught this, some of you heard this, and then something happened in your life and you were started to wonder what is up? Is, are they wrong or is God wrong? And we, did, we cannot have the same two in the same verse. So which one is it? Is God it? Does it mean we have a life of ease? Does it mean we have a life of comfort? Does it mean we have a life of prosperity? Folks, if that was true, then I wouldn't be able to preach the wrong version of Jeremiah 29 9, 11, to a Syrian refugee who had to flee from their homeland because of persecution. And their four children and them are huddled up in a tent in a refugee camp because they're Christians. And one of their children die because they were bitten by a mosquito, mosquito that could, they could have been protected from from a $10 mosquito net. Could you imagine going up to her and saying, hey listen, God knows the plan is he has for you, plans, for, plans to prosper you, right? No, I could not do that. I couldn't go up to somebody who was just diagnosed with cancer, somebody who had lost a child, somebody who's in the midst of their life crumbling, a, a divorce, a, a, a bankruptcy, a loss of a job, losing their house, right? Because this is the reality of the world we live in. These are the reality of things. So obviously this isn't what it means to be Christian. And folks, one of the things I want you to understand as we talk about things that God never said and what the Bible really does is as a pastor, this is one of the things that I make sure every week that I, that I know, that what I can't preach everywhere, I shouldn't preach everywhere, anywhere. I can't do it. What I can't preach everywhere, I shouldn't preach anywhere because God's truth to the Christian experience should be the same regardless of where you're at. And so, Jeremiah 20, am I building a case against Jeremiah 29 11 yet for you? Listen, we all want a life of ease. We want a God that gives us joy without pain. We want a God who gives us holiness without any trials. We want a God who's gonna give us prosperity and never have to have any suffering. That's what we want. We want to have hope that God has a plan for us, plans to prosper us. Man, you're like, oh, I'm so glad I came today. This is such an encouraging message, right? Plans to prosper us, not for evil, but for good, for hope. We all want that. But there's some promises in Scripture that God does promise that are part of the Christian experience. There are clear promises that aren't found in Jeremiah 29, 11, that we can hold on to, that we can believe. Are you ready for them? Now we're going to be interpreting scripture with scripture. Here's the promises of God for the followers of Christ. A promise of persecution. That's one of the promises that we see in scripture for Christians. Look at 2 Timothy 3:12. It says all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. By the way, I checked the Greek and all means all. It does. And this could be big things. Jesus talked about, I haven't come. I've come and, and I'm gonna turn brother against brother and father against mother and child against parents. There's gonna be persecution if you follow Jesus because in our world today, the message of the gospel is offensive just as it was in the first century. And yes, listen, the message of the gospel is inclusive in the fact that Jesus came for all. And he died for all. And his plan was part of God's plan to rescue and redeem the entire world. But that all, and, and the opportunity for all who hear the message to respond is out there from Jesus. But he's also super inclusive because he said things like, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. And when we believe that and we surrender to that and the Holy Spirit starts to work in our lives and we start to look differently than the world around us, there will be persecution. And people right now, Coptic Christians, we've seen it over in the Middle East, people right now are suffering persecution. Christians in China are suffering persecution. And for some of us, we as Americans think we're suffering persecution. I have a hard time saying we are. I just don't think it's there yet. But sometimes it feels like it. Sometimes as a student you can feel like it when you're making a choice to follow Jesus the way that the rest of your classmates don't. Sometimes it feels like that as an adult when you choose to pattern the life of your family in a different way than the way that all of your friends do. Sometimes it's difficult when you're in the break room and everybody has really strong political opinions these days it seems and no one's afraid to share it with anyone anymore. And your way of viewing the world and viewing the way it should be is different from everybody else because you've patterned your life and your heart and your beliefs about everything else because of this book, because of what God's revealed. And you know if you open your mouth, it's gonna bring persecution. It's gonna bring, but that's a promise. That's what it means to follow Jesus. But wait, there's more. There's another promise in scripture, the promise of suffering. Aren't you glad you came this morning? I know you are, I know you are. For it has been, look at Philippians 129 says. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now this is written from Paul to a church in Philippi. Paul, I think it's interesting, writes, it's been granted to you. Yeah, it's like God's given you a gift to suffer for the sake of Jesus. Here you go, congratulations. That's what he says. And the reason is is because the New Testament picture of suffering is that it is a privilege to be able to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ, to bear the wounds that he bore. And, and actually, when, when we suffer because of Jesus, when we suffer because of our beliefs, we actually give, give glory to him because the way that we suffer should be different from the way other people suffer. And when people see that despite we're in suffering, we still have a bigger hope, that actually points, G- points people to Jesus. The New Testament regards suffering as God's means of achieving his gracious purposes, not only in our lives, but in the glory of his son, Jesus. And there's a promise, if you follow Jesus, there's gonna be suffering. But we also know that we live in a fallen world, don't we? This world has fallen. This world is not the way that God intended it to be. Sin entered the world and everything was corrupted. Paul tells us in Romans that the world cries out, the world groans. Right now, creation itself, if you have spiritual ears, is groaning, longing for the redemption that God has promised. And our lives come up against this suffering all the time. I guarantee there's not a person in this room who hasn't experienced suffering of one sort or another in your life. That's why Jeremiah 29 11 read the wrong way can't apply because suffering is real. But then there's another promise too. There's a promise of victory and if you were here so far this summer you know this. There's a promise of victory Jesus said in John 16:33 he said I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world And as we talked about in our series prior to this and onward, we know that we have victory because of what he's accomplished. We know that we live from victory, not for victory. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. And because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, we know that we have victory over sin. We will have victory over suffering. And we will have victory in this life and the next because of Christ Jesus in our lives and operating. And that's really good news. The good news is not that God will save us from our trials. The good news is that God saved us from our sins. And if we would restore, if we would just turn to him and put our trust in him, that is the greatest promise. Because bound up in that promise is new life. Bound up in that promise is new creation. Bound up in that promise is a promise that one day he will return and he will say, behold, I make all things new. And in the middle of the suffering, in the middle of the persecution, the promise of victory is the one we can hold on to, right? These are the promises we see as we interpret scripture with scripture. And just like the exiles, though, just like those in the time of Jeremiah, we want to hear this is going to happen soon. And I hear Christians say this all the time, please, Jesus, come back right? And we should do that. We should pray that he comes back soon, because we want it to happen tomorrow. We want it to happen right now. I hope that he comes back while I'm preaching. I would love that. I would. But just like the exiles that wanted Hananiah to be right in two years, Jeremiah had to tell him, It may not be. Jeremiah 29 10 says this, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. It may not be right away. Remember what I said, who, who Jeremiah wrote this to? He wrote this to elders. He wrote this to prophets. He wrote this to people that probably won't be alive to see it. And yet they had to hope in it. Yet his message in Jeremiah 29, 11 was, I have the plans. You have to hope in this. It will come to pass, but you may not see it. But yet it should influence the way you live now. And this is tough for us. We live in an immediate culture. I mean, when you have to look something up, you don't even have to do what I did, and I'm not that old, which is wait till you go home and pull the Encyclopedia Britannica off the shelf and open it up and hope there's an article in it, right? No, if you wanted to look something up, all you gotta do is get on this. Some of you, some of you I say something wrong in my sermon, you already get, you're ready by the time I'm done to tell me what I was wrong. That's where we live this day. We live in an immediate culture. But here's the thing we also need to understand as we talk about this passage. We are also living as exiles. Did you know that? We are. We're living as exiles. And God's message to the exiles through Jeremiah is true to us because we too are exiles and we are called to live by faith in the promises that he has given us. That takes faith. Hebrews 1 tells us that. Faith is the confidence that, we hope, that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us the assurance about things we cannot see. It takes faith. And I would encourage you to read this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. Go home and read it tonight. And read what, read what the writer of Hebrews goes on to say because he messages people all throughout scripture, men and women who were faithful to God, believing in the promises that he has given them, believing in the hope that is in him, even though their circumstances and their trials, the reality of persecution, the reality of suffering were right in front of them. They believed in a better hope. And why? Because they adopted a different mindset in their life. They adopted the mindset of being exiles. Look what it says at the end of this chapter. It says this. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They could see that it was gonna happen someday. And by acknowledging that they were strangers and exiles on earth. They believed in God's promise was gonna happen, but they also knew that they were strangers and they were exiles on earth. This wasn't their final resting place. This wasn't their final home. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what, these are the promises that we have. We have promises of persecution. We have promises of suffering. We have promises of victory in Christ. But scripture, comparing scripture with scripture also tells us that just like the original audience of Jeremiah 29.11, We have to approach this life as exiles and strangers with faith in the things that we hope for, the reality of things that are unseen. But how do we apply this to our life then? How do we apply this verse then? Say, Pastor, you just ruined my entire life first, and I have to find another one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Does this mean that if somebody gives you a cup with this scripture on it, that you whip out your notes from today and you say, you're a heretic! That's not what it means at all! Take your cup back! Is that what you do? (laughs) No, of course not. Here's the thing. Just because this wasn't written to us as the primary receivers, it doesn't mean that there isn't truth in it. Because here's the thing, what we know about God. We know God is good. We know that God does keep his promises. We know that God gives us blessings. We know that God has hope for us in this life. Listen to me, there is hope in this life. If you have cancer, there is hope. If you're going through some problems with a relationship, there is hope. If you're diagnosed with sickness, there is hope if you've lost someone, or you're going to lose something, there is hope in this life. And it's not because of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven; it's because of his promise in Jesus Christ. And if you apply an exile mindset in the middle of it, you'll learn to do something. You'll learn to seek him. Let me go back here. See, what I think the real life verse is, if I could give it to you, What I think the real meat of Jeremiah 29 is, it's not Jeremiah 29 11. It's what comes after Jeremiah 29 11. Because what Jeremiah tells the exiles is it's gonna be 70 years and it's not always gonna be good but I know the plans I have for you and while you're in the middle of it, while you're suffering, while you're persecuting, while you're away from your homeland, this is how you approach an exile life. You get this mindset and then Jeremiah 29, 12, he says, then you will call upon me and I come and and pray to me and I will hear you. Now let's not breeze over that. Do you realize, folks, do you realize in the middle of it that we have the ability to call on the creator of the universe and when we come to him in prayer, he will hear us, he will hear us. We don't have to cut ourselves, we don't have to sacrifice our children like people that in Jeremiah's day believed. We don't have to do wild things. He says, come to me and if you come to me and pray to me in the middle of the suffering, in the middle of the persecution, when things aren't as they should be, I will hear you. And that's not all he says. He says, if you will seek me and find me, you will seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Not only can we pray to him and he will will hear our prayers, but he promises that if we seek him with all of our hearts, he will be found. He's not trying to hide. Somebody in this room needs to hear this. God isn't far off just playing divine puppet master, watching you struggle in what you're dealing with right now. That's not who he is His promise that I believe is for all of us because it's clear across scripture is that if we seek him with all of our heart, with all that we are, we will find him. He will be found by us. People like C.S. Lewis who were atheists that sought after God to prove he didn't exist, you know what happened? He became one of the greatest Christian writers of our time. People that want to find God and people that don't want to find God, even when they seek him, they find him. And if you seek him with all your heart, regardless of what you're going through this morning, you'll find him. He will be found by you. This is what it means to have the exile mindset. This is what it means to know there are promises. There are promises. There's promises that things aren't going to go right all the time in this world. It's a broken, fallen world. And because I follow Jesus, because I live a different way than the world goes, there's going to be persecution. It's not always going to be easy. But I also remember that there's victory in Christ, and my, my fate is sealed in him. And in the meantime, when things are tough, when things don't seem to be going right, God's plan for me will be revealed to me if I seek him, if I pray to him, and I will find him and he will hear my prayers. That's hope, folks. That's real hope. And I don't think anybody ever dealt with suffering for Christ the way that Paul did. In Romans 8, which I mentioned earlier, this is what he writes. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's revealed. Paul saw what the end of the road was. He knew what God's real promises were, and he said, the suffering that I go through now doesn't even compare to what I'm about to experience in him. And then he goes on and he says this. This is the victory we have in Christ. He says, so who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Some of you know this. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? He says no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, I hope that this is hitting you in the heart, folks, will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is a promise, That is a promise that we have. And when we don't see that God's plans are plans for a better future, when we don't see that God's plans are hopeful right now, when we see that there is evil coming at us, when we see that there isn't comfort, in fact, we're very uncomfortable, when we say, you know what, when I look at this world as a follower of Jesus, sometimes it feels like everything's wrong. It's because it is. But in the middle of that, when you realize this isn't your final home, this isn't your destination as an exile, you seek him. And when you seek him, you come and pray to him and he will hear you. And if you seek him with all your heart, he will be found by you. And then you will stand in the midst of whatever you come across and you will say, I am more than a conqueror through him who first loved me. And there is nothing that will separate me from his love. And because of that, I have victory right here in this life. Not because of Jeremiah 29 and 11, but because of Jesus Christ and his power alive in me. And that's how we live. Yes. That's the thing that transforms our hearts. That's the thing that transforms our lives. And don't forget this, folks. God does have a plan. He's got a plan for you right now. He's got a plan. Scripture tells us that his plan for you was before the foundation of the world. He knew his plan for you when he sent his only son to die on a cross to be tortured, to face persecution, to face suffering so that you wouldn't. He has a plan that was started when two people in a garden broke relationship with him and his heart broke because he created you to be in relationship with him. And his plan, his work of redemption is to get you back to a place where you walk with him, where you know him and you're known by him. He wants this not just now, he wants you to be with him for eternity. That's his plan. He wants you to live with him for eternity in a place where there is no persecution, in a place where there is no suffering. And if you would adopt this exile mindset, his plan is to glorify himself through you as you deal with the life we live now. That's his plan. And in the meantime, he says, call on me. I'll answer. Seek me. You'll find me. Seek me with all your heart. It's an open invitation. And you will find that nothing will separate you from my love. You will find that nothing will defeat you as a conqueror you will find that my love through Jesus Christ is solid and it is never going to fail. And then you answer that and you seek him because exiles seek him. That's what they do. That was the invitation in Jeremiah 29 11. It's the invitation for us. It's the invitation for you this morning. So what are you going through? What's going on in your life right now? Here's the thing as pastor, I know that this isn't falling on deaf ears because I know what's going on in this room. Are you overwhelmed? Are you disgruntled with the world? Do you watch this political sideshow and shake your head and say, Lord, come? Are you dealing with things at work in your family, in your life? My question to you is, are you holding on to false hope or are you going to the God who promised if you go and pray to him, he's gonna come to you and hear him? If you seek him with all your heart, he promises that you'll find him. Are you living into that promise this week? If not, God's saying to you today, it's time to start. It's time to start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your love poured out. Father, I thank you that even even today there's people in this place that maybe have experienced persecution or maybe you're struggling father just show yourself to them right now holy spirit allow them to feel your presence give us ears to hear your call so that we seek you with all our heart that we come to you and pray to you that we hold on to the promise that you have given us. That this is not our final home. And in the meantime, we're called to seek you. Be conquerors, be victors, because of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us with this. In Jesus' name, amen.